This product is not about selling fire. It is about selling mood. It is about selling experience. And people pay a ton of money. But it's like a one-use thing. It's $25. You're unwilling to pay $4 an hour to set the mood for the night at the beach? How much are you paying for your beers or your big girl pours? (laughs) (laughs) Just to get your mood up. Fair. <laughs> but a good bottle of wine for $25 will Worth last it. me longer than six hours of fire. Not with me. Sure. Oh my God. <laughs> hey everyone, and welcome to Another Bite, where we rewatch the most innovative and intriguing pitches from Shark Tank. I'm Jory, and I'm joined by Ariel. Hey, friends. And John. How's it going? Today, we're taking it to the great outdoors. Spring is in the air, pollen is making us miserable, but we have three budding products that sure aren't. But before all of that, a quick word from the folks that keep the lights on. First in the tank, we have Tailgate & Go. And Tailgate & Go is a product that's trying to bring all of the conveniences of your kitchen to the great outdoors. So this comes to us from founders Taylor Ron and Colby Johnson, and they are coming asking for a $250,000 investment for a 10% stake in their company, which actually shakes out to about a $2.5 million valuation. You know, it's so annoying to forget your cooking materials when you're out in the wild, camping or fishing or even tailgating. So voila, this is Tailgate and Go, and it's a portable, modular, outdoor kitchen and dry box that you can take anywhere. I'm going to need help once we talk about how it opens up. But like when you first see the product, it kind of looks like a traveling trunk. Mm -hmm. It's a box and it opens up. And that's when it's like, wow, product of mystery, because it's like a portable grill. It's got a sink that pulls out on the back end. It looks like a magician's box where they have the assistant go in and get sawed in half. That was like the initial first (laughs) gut that I I had. I was like, how much could this possibly weigh? Which they like get into, but it's basically meant to be like an all-in-one solution, which conceptually I think makes sense, but executionally. We'll talk about. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Like to me, it looked like a steamer trunk, you know, Mm. like uh, somebody was getting on a ship for the Americas, (laughs) (laughs) but like with a Swiss army knife of a kitchen inside it or like a Russian nesting doll. They kept like (laughs) opening things up and more things kept coming out of it. It was unbelievable how much stuff they crammed into the steamer trunk. They just kept pulling things out. I was just like, they just keep snapping things to the outside of it. (laughs) It just keeps coming. Whereas I was deeply in love with it. I was what? so excited. I would love to play with one of these for hours no, on end. Stop. It's 55 to 75 pounds. Well, I'm not saying I want to carry it around. I just am highly interested <laughs> in playing with all the attachments and see how they attach. Fair. He just likes Fair. the shelving. <laughs> I think what the founders left us with is like, it's like nothing on the market. It's not a grill per se, but it's not just a sink. It's got shelving and it's got two utility patents. So it's definitely a product that is uniquely itself. It's not like anything. Tailgating, it's not in my blood. I don't do a lot of tailgating. The product's like a little out of my league, if you will. But I got a guy that I know. So he's good to have a guy. His name's Pete. Mm -hmm. This guy in particular is the right guy for this product because he grew up in Louisiana going to LSU tailgates. And so I actually phoned a friend on this one. Hey, my name's Pete. And I gotta be honest with you, this thing will never work. Listen, if you've seen the guy in Baton Rouge who every Saturday is making 50 gallons of jambalaya with a huge pot and a boat oar going around, this guy has spent years setting this thing up. There is 
No way this guy's going to pay $2,000 for a couple of cutting boards. Nobody does that. And then if you just look at the, if you look at the amateurs, the people are going to flip it. No one's going to pay $2,000. They're going to spend that money on Miller Lite and ice. That's the way this thing works. Anyway, this thing is stuck at a place where nobody in their right mind would want it. So to me, I think they're going to have a real problem. Hmm. It's stuck in the middle and it's also stuck in the beginning a little bit, right? So as we start to dig into this product, it's only been on the market for one and a half years, right? You mentioned that like the upper price point is about like $1,500. They are differentiating. They are trying to make like smaller modular products. The full scale one is that 75 pound, $1,500 model. It's also pretty expensive to make. They mentioned that it was like $748 to manufacture. So it's like, it's expensive, it's new. And yeah, it just seems like it's kind of like in the middle of its development at the same time as it's trying to be everything for everyone. I was like, am I just like not in the market for this? But I'm actually glad that you phoned a friend that is very big into the tailgate scene because I think one of the sharks alluded to this as well. They're like, you know, people who are big tailgaters have their setup already. That's what they know. So now it's a question of adoption, right? And how do you kind of like craft that narrative and story? If you're really going to focus in on this audience and make it niche, you really have to really sell them what the value is. I don't know. I don't tailgate often. I don't know what all goes into it. I just enjoy my BG pours on the weekend. But Ariel, I mean, you've been to Burning Man. Would you bring this to Burning Man? Yes. I would actually. Oh, interesting. Okay. I think for like a lot of camping events, I actually, I don't think tailgating is the market where I would pitch this. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, I mean, Burning Man being the example at your camp, you'll have like a shared kitchen and people would like jerry rig like their own showers that they would make and like saving gray water or having communal cooking and stovetops that we use. I loved the idea of the module components that could move around to really customize. I could see it for like camping events or or maybe if you're part of like van life living and you don't have a kitchen inside your bus or your van that you're living on to have something that is a little more portable. Yeah. You know, their product is called Tailgate and Go, which immediately brings you as a consumer to sports tailgating. But it turns out this isn't a great product for sports tailgating. It's actually a great product for camping. They had the idea for it when they went camping. And so I think they've just kind of misnamed the product. They're trying to position it as something that maybe it's not. I still think at the price point they're at and the unit economics they're at, they're going to have a really hard time actually selling a lot of this product. I think what they also kept going back to was like, but they're the first at the market. How we've discussed it is like, it's at the middle of the market. And the founders are really arguing that that's why they're valuing their company so high. That's why those patents mean so much. It's an interesting product because it is like nothing else. And I think that's a very interesting kind of concept of being both the differentiator, but also consumers not necessarily knowing where this fits into their own uses. So like, I think there's pros and cons to being the first at market. What do you think about that? I think that's the challenge though, right? When you're first to market, yeah. similar to Scrub Daddy, like there's that education piece when you're first to market or you're offering a one of a kind solution. So really is within that storytelling, I think. And that's the piece that I feel like they were missing a lot of. What is that broader narrative you would bring around the use case and building essentially a new category? Because that's what it is, right? A new category. It's a new category. I think categories are a very hot topic in marketing right now. And there's a reason for it, which is that companies that invent a category or make a new category, they win the majority of the market share. Something like 80% of the dollars flows to the company that makes a new market. Like Kleenex, 
right? You're like, oh, okay, they kind of like invented this disposable tissue market and they owned it. And for a long time, they took the majority of it. It's a really great book about it called Play Bigger that talks about category creation. What happens is, is that somebody creates the category and that floods a lot of money to it. And because of that, lots of competition comes in. It's very rare, I think, that somebody goes in, invents a category, and that category is big and nobody else comes into it. And so, you know, you don't want to confuse category creation with a product that doesn't have product market fit or no like category mm -hmm. fit. So I think that's actually one of the challenges that they have here. You could look at it and say, oh, well, they're first to market in a category and therefore they're worth investing in. But to believe that, you have to believe that everyone's going to want to buy one of these things and there'll be lots of competition over time. And because of that, this company will come out as the winner. What would you need for a product that's first to market to make you feel like the proof of concept has been proven? This is tried and true. This is how you can actually stand a chance in a new category. I think you have to have product market fit, right? And you have to have a unique and differentiated insight that I'm not sure in either case they've actually found yet. So as a consumer, are there any products that you use that are kind of like the maker of their own category. It happened to snow here last night and I got to go out and shovel this morning. Yay. My wife purchased this attachable extra handle for our shovel that I've never seen anywhere else in the world before. And it is an absolute game changer in terms of how you feel, your back, all these things. I've never seen another one of them. So maybe it's like a unique one of one product, but there is no category for like extra handle to screw onto your shovel handle. If there's not a lot of money to be made, you might end up with one of one products. Yeah, the only one I could think of was like Pop Socket. I didn't even realize that was like a problem until voila, it's fixed. Pop Socket is an incredible example of what the Play Bigger book would call a category king mm -hmm. because they were the first to market. And so they've taken the majority of the share. They have name recognition, but it has actually created a ton of competition and it's not a unique one of one product anymore. There's lots mm -hmm. of variations of it. So Jory, I think you're actually giving an amazing example of just a first mover into a category that actually ushered in like a whole set of category competitors. So I feel like the response from the sharks was a bit of a mixed bag. We have definitely the glamping aspect, which didn't seem to resonate with Mark, which felt very on brand. Then there was Lori, who was a little on the fence because this was too much in the beginning stages. The company's been around for about like a year and a half, and it still seems kind of like in that proof of concept phase. But not all sharks said no. We actually had a guest shark on this episode, and it was Matt Higgins, who I believe is like a chair on the Miami Dolphins. The vice chair. Vice chair. Oh. He's the Miami vice chair. Come on. <laughs> It was really interesting. It was Damon coming in for the save being like, you know, if you don't like any of these deals, you can try to counter. Mm -hmm. And this is sort of where it became clear that they were very single shark minded because rather than even trying to counter Kevin with his royalties and his complexities, despite being the only shark that was like interested initially, they countered Matt Higgins. And that was interesting because it made it clear that they're really going for that tailgate persona. They're really going for the shark that has like the inroads to a lot of professional sports teams, ultimately landing on equity and royalty to make sure that Matt, of course, could make his money back. It seemed like rather than taking a deal with any shark, they didn't really want a deal unless it was with Matt Higgins. 
I don't think there's anything wrong with having a target shark in mind, but you have to balance it out and you have to be open to other sharks and think about the other possibilities. Like, okay, if Mark's my number one, then maybe Lori's my number two because she can help me get X, Y, and Z and really think about it that way strategically and still keep that open mind. You got to know what you want. Do you need connections? Do you need experience? There's a whole bunch of different things you could ask for from an investor and you got to choose wisely. And each shark on Shark Tank offers a slightly different set of experiences, connections, networks, et cetera. And so I love that they got super targeted on Matt and basically decided like, we almost would rather not take a deal from Kevin. But that deal was ridiculous. I mean, it was a bad deal. 10% interest. That's venture debt. That's not an unreasonable interest rate for venture debt, but that plus the $50 per unit royalty. I mean, it was just, it was very unfavorable to the entrepreneurs. I never would have done that deal myself. So they ended up sealing the deal with Matt Higgins for $250,000 for a 20% stake and then a $50 royalty until that $250,000 was like paid back. Do we think that Tailgate and Go, knowing this was a pitch in 2019, is still a business? I sent it to Pete. I know it's a business. (laughs) (laughs) Pete the spoiler. Um, So yes, Tailgate and Go is very much still a company and they are continuing to revolutionize the outdoor space directly after airing, they did get their clout. So they made $400,000 in sales, increasing their sales by 60%. Matt Higgins even scored them a licensing deal with the NFL. Wow. So I guess it did pay off to focus on that one shark in this instance. (laughs) And in going into like sports teams and the pride that people will throw down some mad cash for their sports teams. So, you know, you know your persona. All right. So next in the tank, we've got Radiate. And this is one I have opinions with a capital O on. Do tell, Jory. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So let me paint the picture. So campfires, they're annoying to start, maintain, clean up. I get that. That's a hard problem. So Radiate comes in trying to solve our problem with a portable campfire. Initially, I'm bought in. Easy to light, store, and carry. But then we see the product. And that's when, to me, it all fell apart. Because honestly, this product is a three-wick candle, right? It is! Thank you for saying it! It is a four-pound candle in a tin. And they even came scented. Scented fire candles. This is a candle. This is a big candle that you're using to warm yourself up in. And I know that we can unpack this as a product, but capital O, opinions. Uh, Not only was it just a candle, do you remember like the cookie tins that your grandmother had? The Royal Yes, the Royal Danish blue tin. Yeah, the Royal Danish cookies. It's in a Royal Danish cookie tin, just so everybody here can imagine. It's a Royal Danish cookie tin that when you take the lid off, there's a couple of wicks and you light Mm -hmm. the wicks on fire. Yeah. So I was so down on it when it started. Interesting. Tell me the hero's journey. So let's get there. My whole beef with this thing is I'm like, first of all, your pitch was like, man needs fire. And therefore, <laughs> man should light this nice little cookie tin full of wax. Scented like um, s'mores. That, that was their <laughs> yeah. pitch. And so I was like, okay, that threw me off from the beginning. But halfway through, Mark's like, uh, hey, guys, uh, that fire is getting a little out of hand. And they like panned over. And it's not just like a candle. This whole thing was in flames. It was like the flames were like two feet in the air. It was unbelievable. It was lit. It It was was. a candle (laughs) made with flammable wax. (laughs) My whole beef with it was like 
this is just like a candle. I'm going to go to the beach and light a candle. But this thing was roaring. And so then I got pretty excited about it. And then I thought, and you could put bug repellent in it. Well, that's kind of attractive. I think that's pretty interesting. And so I actually came full circle on this product and I'm now all in on it. Wow. Yes. But see... This is a pitch of conflicting messages because it's just like, man, me need fire, but then it looks like a candle. And then it's like, oh, but it's safe to use. You can bring it all the other places that you can't bring your other fire starters. But then it's like a flamethrower at one point. And they're like, oh, it's family friendly. Even if it has a warning label on the inside of the lid, let me tell you that is going to be the most ignored warning label in all of human history, right? So it's like, you've got basically an explodable pot of wax that's in metal, that's both family friendly and manly. But I just felt like there was just like too much going on. They weren't quite sure who their buyer persona was, where people would even use this effectively. Their buyer persona should be everybody who likes (laughs) to create a good mood. This is about experience, okay? Mm -hmm. Nothing at nighttime sets the mood better than a fire. Can you think of anything in the world that sets the mood better than a fire? This product is not about selling fire. It is about selling mood. It's about selling experience. And people pay a ton of money. But it's like a one-use thing. It's $25. You're unwilling to pay $4 an hour to set the mood for the night at the beach? How much are you paying for your beers or your big girl pours? (laughs) (laughs) Just to get your mood up. But a good bottle of wine for $25 will last me longer than six hours of fire. Oh my God. (laughs) I mean, I would have loved to see a little more functionality of it, right? Like if it is for everyone, like put a marshmallow over it. Cause like at first I was right. I was like, yeah, like there's not much fire coming out of it. What is the purpose of it? But like actually show me how people use this besides just setting a vibe. Is it the mosquito repellent? Is it a bug repellent that's added in? Like, what is the actual value besides just pretty fire? I could definitely envision it in a lot of different places where people have the opportunity to be outdoors while they're at a resort or at the beach or camping or whatever. Could you bring it with you on the plane? Isn't it technically flammable, though? Oh, <laughs> is it flammable? I, I mean, you can't put a candle on a plane. I haven't tried. I'm going to bring one through the security and see what happens. I feel like they skimmed over a lot of their selling points by being like, look, it comes in multiple scents and it comes with all these like fun safety features when it's just like focus on the problem that you're solving for and sell the product. <laughs> yeah. But I think what's interesting here too is like when they came on the show, I think they mentioned they were only in business for 30 days. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And how many had they sold? 1,100 units, yeah. In 30 days, they sold 1,100 units. Where there's smoke, there's fire. It was a crowdfunding campaign, John. Who cares? <laughs> Let us not What's forget. <laughs> but is it a true proof of concept if it's a crowdfunding or crowdsource campaign, I think is what Jory is getting at. Because mm-hmm. we kind of talked about that in the last segment, right? Of like the tailgate and go needing to be like that proof of concept first. So where is the line? I don't know. <laughs> to me, this is a great product and the founders are fantastic. Okay. Are they fantastic? Because no. let's dig into that comment a little bit <laughs> uh, because the Throughout the pitch, one of the founders was decidedly not fantastic and really kept interrupting the sharks when they were talking and even self-identified as really kind of eccentric, to which Barbara called him annoying. He was rude AF to Lori. Watching it for a second time, you could see throughout the conversation, like Lori had a question. The Mm -hmm. entrepreneur would either be like, wait, I want to talk about something else. I want to hear something from someone else. And it was just like kind of shutting her 
down. I don't know. I felt like this entrepreneur was just like not giving the same amount of quality time to listen to what Barbara and Lori had to say. And because they were women, maybe it rubbed me a little bit of the wrong way. But like, I wouldn't want to partner with yet another male and, you know, an industry where they're not going to give everyone the same kind of airtime to talk about their thoughts and concerns. So right off the bat, Mark was like, this isn't a differentiator, right? Lori was like, the burn time's not a worry. Also, I think it rubbed her the wrong way that she kept getting interrupted. But you know, Barbara was the first one to give an offer for $50,000 for 25%. And they completely just like passed that over, right? Like just like, and other folks. And Rohan Mm -hmm. like gave the exact same offer. And it felt like that was the moment they actually started listening to the sharks. And that rubbed me the wrong way because it's like, it's not just interrupting Lori because people are rude and that happens. But it really did feel like kind of like, I don't know, targeted in some way. Maybe it's because they leaned in a little too hard on like the man marketing. And like, there's nothing wrong Mm. with that. But I think it kind of came across the wrong way. Everybody deserves to be treated with respect, including sharks. And so I'll just start out with that. I hear all of your comments on this. I would just say a couple of things in their defense. Number one is that I've never seen anybody on Shark Tank actually have to respond to the first offer they're given. Mm. Everybody wants to go to the other sharks and hear what they have to say, right? And so like everybody tried to like pressure them to be like, are you going to take her offer or not? Mm -hmm. And I don't know, like, of course they're going to ask for other offers. Every single entrepreneur on the show does that. So that's number one. Number two, this feels a little bit to me like it was possible that it was edited to Mm. exaggerate the nature of how things went here, which we know from reading about the show and talking to people who've been on the show often does happen that the producers want to amp something up to make Make a more interesting story. (laughs) And now I don't want to give them an out there, but you can kind of see that. The other thing, though, that I just want to say is like, and this is why I started with everybody deserves to be treated with respect, because you don't want to work with an entrepreneur who doesn't respect people. That's like Mm -hmm. super bad. But if you're going to give your money to entrepreneurs, you want people who are a dog on the bone. And if they are just like super passionate about being sure the facts get out there and they tell the whole story and they're enthusiastic about it and all this stuff, Barbara said it herself. She's like, you're going to be so successful. I know you. I've met you, I've worked with you, I've managed you in my life, people like you. And like you have the characteristics that make for a really great entrepreneur. You know, assuming that he can treat people with respect, I think he's going to be a great entrepreneur. We actually did get a bit of a feeding frenzy too. Because as soon as like Rohan started being like, I've got the buzz building, I've got the distribution, Mm -hmm. Robert got into the game. (laughs) And I don't usually see Robert as like the aggressive shark. But I think it was like something that Rohan said that actually like really pissed him off. So he had come in at the same offer of like 50K for 25%. And then he got nudged by Rohan to like double the offer. So kind of like out of left field, uh, he just got super angry and was like, I'm going to double my offer and sealed the deal with these founders at $100,000 for 25%, which was just like not where I thought this was going. This was not a product that I was like, oh, yes, this aligns with Robert's portfolio. But he saw what he wanted and he sealed the deal and he didn't care how much it cost him. So... Radiate is definitely still around. They continue to bring the pillar of fire, if you will. And even if this wasn't intentionally like a clout kind of pitch after the tank, they saw a huge spike in sales and continued basically to ride the wave since then. Nowadays, the company does $2 million in annual revenue. So candle or not, uh, I guess I'll eat my words. You and me both, Jory. So I guess the next sale also goes to John and his backyard. So (laughs) He and I are going to light some cans up. I'll tell you that. We're going to light some cans up. Definitely.
All right. So last in the tank, we have shower toga. And this comes from a very passionate, very colorfully dressed family of founders, most notably Cressa, who is coming asking for $80,000 for a 33% stake in her business, which it's a valuation of $242,424. And essentially the product she's coming with is trying to solve the problem that, you know, if you're doing mud runs or you're surfing or or you're out mountain biking, hiking, you know, you have those intense workouts outdoors and it's really troublesome to have to like clean up afterwards, right? Like you want a way to rinse off sometimes in those public showers or with those public hoses. You don't want to get the mess in your car. So what do you do? What you need is shower toga, the solution for getting dirty in public, because it's basically like a a wearable toga that you put on over your clothes and then you rinse off and get dried off, get redressed. And it then turns into a bag that you can put all of your dirty clothes into. So it's like a fun duffel bag shower product. (laughs) And like envisioning this, you know, it's awful, but like it kind of does look a little like a garbage bag that is just kind of like a little bit more form fitted. You know, it doesn't help that it's like this gray material. That was my first thought too. I was like, it's a glad bag (laughs) romper, (laughs) but fashionable and it comes with pockets. Thinking about shower toga and the initial pitch, initial thoughts. Well, what a polarizing entrepreneur. Mm. On the one hand, what a strong personality and like almost off-putting from the start, the way her family came out and her husband. Well, well, and You found that off-putting, oh, yeah. but you didn't find Radiate off-putting. So let me tell you my story, Ariel. Yes. I started feeling off-put and at the end of the deal, I cried. I actually <laughs> cried. <laughs> Did you really? My wife was sitting on the couch over here and she was like, I'm sorry. She's like, are you crying about that? And I was like, I don't know why I'm so moved. So you guys now know a little bit about me and where my emotional fragility is at the moment. John weeped over this product. (laughs) And so this is why I call her a polarizing entrepreneur. On the one hand, at the beginning to me, she was very strong personality. But on the other hand, strong commitment and has put her whole self into this thing. Yeah, I mean, really starting from the bare bones is like the sharks were uncovering the story. The fact that the family was living, you know, and kind of going place to place and literally selling the product at events and that it was Krista on the ground being not only just the entrepreneur, but the salesperson, the merchandiser, the marketer, like doing it all. A real testament, I think, just to the type of like strength and person, like entrepreneur wise. And I think that's why it's such a sharp contrast from the last segment, just because, you know, I feel like there is that fine line between being really passionate about something and making sure the product gets out, but then also doing it in a way that you're actively listening. Uh, Was not expecting that at the end to just kind of backstory. You never know someone's story. Never someone's story. Yeah. Okay. So I think they have a couple of really big choices to make here, right? Like we have to just start with the unit economics of this, which although they have do have a really good gross margin, in order for them to make this a real business, they have to sell a lot of these, mm-hmm. right? They sell them for what? $34.95. 35 bucks in retail. If you want to make a big business on that, you have to sell lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of shower togas. Which means either you need to go B2B and convince lots of organizations with big buying power to buy lots of them from you. You'd have to sell them much cheaper probably than you sell them at retail. You know, they make them for three bucks. They could sell them for six bucks B2B and get a 50% gross margin. 
Or if they want to go B2C, they've got to go much more specific on use cases. They've got to like be out there in these communities where they've got perfect product market fit. They need to have big logos on them with the brand mm-hmm. name on them so that people can see it and look it up. I feel like the kind of thing that's going to have to be big word of mouth because the problem they have on B2C side is nobody's searching for this. Mm. Nobody goes and searches for like, how do I cover up while showering outdoors? So you kind of got to see it in order to believe it probably. And that's totally fair because it seems like how they've sold them so far is they're targeting individual events. The family lives together in sort of like their van life situation and they go event to event, but like the scale of their current sales is limited to what they have in their trailer. It's being able to go in person to those events. And it made me think that like, yeah, they're missing out because they can only scale as much as the family can reach certain events. So Ariel, how would you grow this then? Definitely would take a look at the rebranding. I wasn't in love with the logo. I think there was a turtle on it. It was cute, but I didn't understand like, is there like the tortoise and the hare that you're like alluding to with like racing? Like, you know, what is kind of the purpose? So I think could do really well for marketing. I think also having multiple color options too would be a big one. And I would also just take the time to really listen to the racers. Like that is the unique thing about having the entrepreneur kind of still on the ground is you can actually ask these runners and your actual audience, like, what do you like about this? What don't you like? What would you also find like functional and helpful? So any like feedback groups, really just taking that time to really understand that audience to either improve on or build a more cohesive brand so it's less of all of that manual work of having to do it yourself. And to John's point, you get that word of mouth that way. What's your thoughts on the name? It's like Shower Toga as the company name. Now you got to change it. (laughs) What would you change it to? (laughs) My wild idea for them is actually to flip the whole concept and to make bags that can unfold into a shower cover-up. Oh, like a little tent, like how they have at sometimes fairs where you can go like get dressed up. So this is the thing. Nobody's out searching for a shower cover-up, but people are definitely out searching for- Gym bags or Bags, right? Gym bags, you know, bags to bring camping, bags Mm -hmm. to bring to like whatever. And so like that to me was just an interesting way to try and flip it. Can you find something that already has search intent and come in with a differentiated angle on it, which is, oh, by the way, this is like the perfect thing for- being outdoors and cleaning yourself up. Like you actually could build an emergency blanket into it. Like you could build it out of the fabric that emergency blankets are built out of so that it can keep you warm. So it can keep you warm. It can help you shower. If they want to go B2C, they've got to find a way to create intent. You know, they either have to create that intent by showing it to enough people or they have to like fit into something that there's already intent for. I don't know if they mentioned this in the pitch, but it'd be great if this was like machine washable too. Oh, totally. So you take off your clothes or you go to the gym and then you could just throw it all in there. You don't even have to take it out afterwards. Like even then I'd be more compelled to buy it because it's making my life easier, (laughs) saving me the step. They should team up with the tailgate and go people and make a whole bunch of attachments. They can just attach onto it. (laughs) Yes. It's got a grill. You just put it in your pocket. Light up your radiator on the side. (laughs) You know, way better ideas. My only idea was I was like, I don't know. Rename it Shoga. Shoga. <laughs> I like Shower Toga. Anywho, it was, I think, the personality that did ultimately draw our investor duo to this product. Ultimately, it was Ali Webb, who's the co-founder of Drybar, and Mark that hopped on this deal. I think they really saw what this business meant. And yeah, definitely the potential of a product like this, especially when you have an entrepreneur that's so hungry for success. 
and to ultimately, you know, like meet aspirations. Like, is there the ability to have some sort of like disaster relief tie-in? I thought that was a really interesting side note. So ultimately, Allie and Mark sealed the deal. They offered $80,000 for a 40% stake. But I think with that kind of dream duo... The entrepreneur, Cressa, was definitely open and took that deal. That was also kind of interesting because, you know, some of the sharks were like, hey, you don't even need an investor here. And I think she saw the potential of the two that got on board. So happily ever after. So to answer the question on is Shower Toga still a company, I almost called it Shoga again. <laughs> Let's have this be Jory's rebranding segment. So is Shower Toga still a business? Yeah, they're still going toga strong. No. So you can actually buy a shower toga on Amazon today or directly from their website. So this segment was back in 2019. And in 2020, they actually provided their togas at half price for frontline workers and first responders. So, you know, I think we see sometimes that entrepreneurs kind of rely on like, this is how we're helping the community to actually see one do that. Cressa had mentioned this just as like an aspiration as like one day to see that actually happen, I think was a huge payoff for me. And as of 2022, their annual revenue ranges from 250,000 to 500,000 per year, but definitely up from, you know, the 80,000 they were selling back in 2018. So something's working and you can get your shower toga today. So I love this idea of giving our companies, our pitches, the golden bites. So that's how I'm going to frame today's who is the winner. John, who do you think wins the golden bite? You got to light it on fire. It's radiate, baby. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) What? (laughs) Why? (laughs) I want fire in a can. I love fire. I want mood. I like ambiance. I light me up. We need to do a product review in our segments where we (laughs) actually have the product while we talk. And John tells us how he burnt his backyard down. (laughs) But, you know, you said that the branding of Me Man Fire didn't work on you. But all I'm hearing is it did. It It turns out I'm not maybe so manly. Maybe I'm much more in that bucket of people who wants fire in a can, not uh, rubbing two sticks together. (laughs) That's true. I cried at the shower toga. (laughs) That's why I'm kind of surprised that's not your winner, to be honest. No, it's not that great of a product. Oh, my God. (laughs) It's not. It's not that great of a price. They're not going to sell that many. It emotionally moved you and it wasn't enough. What do you want, John? I've been moved by stories without choosing to invest in them. Fair enough. (laughs) So, Ariel, who wins the golden bite? Now I feel like a pessimist because it's like I'm looking back at my notes. I'm just like, yeah, I I don't know if one really stands out to me. Like, Interesting. Okay. I guess if I had to pick one, I will pick one for the sake of picking one and not to be difficult. I will say Shoga Toga, Shower Toga. Shoga Toga. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Let's start it off as a really wholesome, just really earnest endeavor turning into, you know, I know it's not a ton of revenue, but 500,000, you know, annually isn't too bad. That's not nothing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For just, you know, going around and following races to, you know, how much they've grown. So I will give it to Shower Toga. Even if it's not making like millions of dollars a year, I do think that in a different way, the Sharks found a winner here. So I was glad to see her walk away with a deal. Same. Awesome. Today's episode was written and produced by the incomparable Matthew Brown. Additional support comes from Melanie Romero. If you like the show, tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell everybody. Because I mean, I like hanging out with you. Do you like hanging out with me? What do you say, Barb? I'm out. 
Okay, rude. <laughs> you can follow and subscribe to the show wherever fine podcasts are found. That's everywhere, in case you're wondering. Every podcast player, we're there. That's it from me, for real this time. We'll see you next week in the tank for another bite.